America. If you're looking for a roadmap to financial health and smart investing, remember, money meets at the intersection of Mulholland and Cooperstock. After your family and your health, your money, your investments should be number three on your life top 10 list. I am Mark Cooperstock, and along with my partner, Stephen Mulholland, a CFA charter holder and CFP, are the principals of Mulholland and Cooperstock Asset Management. Our firm is a registered investment advisor with offices in San Diego, California and Summerlin, Nevada, with only one goal in mind, to provide meaningful, thoughtful, and tax-efficient advice. We provide investment and generational wealth management guidance while keeping a sharp eye on the economy and the markets. So come along, join us on this journey as we look to help you navigate the superhighway of financial news and global markets amidst the daily traffic of forecasters, speculators, and prognostications. You have arrived. Remember, money meets at the intersection of Mulholland and Cooperstock. Along with engineer Griffin the Booth, fresh off his college tour visit to Tulane University in New Orleans, let's welcome my partner, Stephen Mulholland. Stephen, where will we go today? I wish we were going to New Orleans, Mark. I know that some interns have all the life, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they say uh, Vegas has the tagline, the city that never sleeps. But for me, it's New Orleans. What'd you think, Griff? I loved it. it was, the food was amazing. It was super cool. Uh, it was just it was awesome. A little sticky, though, a little, a little sweaty. <laughs> and uh, Mark, you, you don't have much humidity in Vegas, right? Not much. Uh, this time of year, we're, we're in what, what's referred to as the monsoon season, which means that the humidity levels up. We get, we get some thunderstorms late in the afternoon or early evening, uh, and it breaks humidity, but it only lasts for about three or four weeks. Uh, and you know, then we'll be back to the normal dry stuff. So it's totally tolerable. So Griffey will be checking out UNLV soon? <laughs> you got to no. expand, expand your tour, Griffey. <laughs> okay UNLV is a lot of fun from what i understand so yeah we can we can be neighbors <laughs> exactly exactly i hear uh santa fe new mexico through my resources has had quite the monsoon season as well mark yeah they've had they've had their share of uh storms and flooding as a result too but they should be coming out of it soon excellent well uh with storms and flooding as the context uh we're gonna today's podcast to your question is gonna stay in the bond market and um Pretty fascinatingly, since our last podcast, which was almost exactly a month ago, the market has totally refocused from it, it's moved inflation down its worry list and recession up the worry list. Um, and recording today is rather fortuitous because the CPI report came out. And uh, pretty amazingly, the, uh, the, the consensus expectations for CPI today uh, the the version that includes energy and food uh, was for an 8.7% annualized increase. And the metric came in at 8.5%. So 20 basis points or 0.2% different difference. And the bond markets uh, yields are falling. The stock market's rising. Uh, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, Griffey, I don't know if you, uh, hopefully you'll study this in your economics class, but inflation is really difficult to measure. And uh, sometimes it's kind of amazing to step back and realize, the, or think about how the markets react so much from a 0.2% uh, um, difference between estimate and actual number. But Mark, what are you seeing in the bond market today? Yeah, we're, we're, we're seeing that, you know, not a whole lot of movement. Um, 
it's uh, you know we're, the the ten year is down you know a couple of basis points in yield uh, two seventy eight. And one quick comment, you know, all these statistics that are published on a monthly basis and that the market and the analysts and investors live live and die by, you know, they also can be restated a quarter or two quarters down the road. So it's not unusual to get uh, you know, a piece of economic data and then the following paragraph is, and we're restating the, the data from quarter two or quarter three. So you know, we're, we're working and the market reacts to what's live or, or the most current, but oftentimes we'll ignore restatements of fact um, that are two or, three month, two or three quarters in arrears. So just- No, that's, that's exactly right. So the 0.2% delta between expectation and reality has sent the S&P up 2%. And right. while Mark's exactly right, the 10-year has barely uh, moved, the two-year yield is down uh, 10 basis points, and it was down 15 basis points earlier. Um, and basically, that's undoing a spike in the two-year uh, from a couple of weeks ago. And the, the reason the two-year and the 10-year are so important uh, is twofold, two reasons. One is the two-year treasury has been a remarkably a good indicator of where the Fed funds rate will be in the near-term future. And also the difference between the two-year and the 10-year uh, has historically been how we measure whether or not the yield curve is inverted, which we're going to uh, add some details on in a minute. Um, to start the year, the yield curve was uh, zero on the front end, meaning if you lent the US government money for one month, two months, or three months, you effectively got zero, while the 10-year US Treasury yield was 1.5%. So a very low curve starting on the floor, but upward sloping, as common sense and theory would predict. Uh, July 6th, of the date of our last podcast, the front end of the yield curve rose. And while the slope decreased, it was still upward sloping. So that if you lent the government money for one to three months, you got paid one and a half to 2%. And if you went all the way out for 10 years, which is the benchmark that's most useful for computing 30-year mortgage rates, uh, that was about 2.75%. So again, an upward sloping yield curve. Just since our last podcast, the short end of the curve has risen further, while the long end, the 10-year, as Mark mentioned, the 10-year hasn't moved today, and it hasn't moved in a month. So now we have an inverted yield curve, the two-year yield, US Treasury yield, is actually higher than the 10-year treasury yield. So the two-year yield is uh, over 3%, where the 10-year yield is uh, around, what's the 10-year today, Mark? Two, uh, 275. 275. So what we have is an inverted yield curve. And since we have uh, Engineer Griff with us, uh, he's going to introduce uh, uh, for our listeners what an inverted yield curve is and, and why it's important. Hold on one second. Just, just, for this, just let me put a comma on what you just said, Steve, and add a little bit to it. The, 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 the yield curve is inverted much, much greater than even that. Mm. Um, the, the, the one month, one month U.S. Treasuries are at a 220 today. The three month is at a 259. So 259 for three months versus 275 for 10 years. When you get to six months, you can get over 3%. Okay, on U.S. Treasuries, and two years, as you said, is a three sixteen. So that means you get a much better yield, twenty five percent bump in yield, right? If you bought a six month Treasury for that time period versus a ten year hold. Amazing. So, so we're seeing we're we're seeing you know 
the, this inverted curve almost across the board. Um, and I'll, I'll let Griff get to that definition in a second, but, and we're gonna talk about the Fed and Fed fund rates, but essentially you have the Fed fund rates um, at almost a parity with the 10 year, which is a completely unusual and abnormal situation. Go ahead, Griff. Go ahead. No, thanks. Th thanks for thanks for underlining, putting that in bold and all caps, because it is it is quite it is very anomalous. And uh, here on the so Mark and I threw the basketball up, Griff. If you could throw it through the hoop and talk about inverted yield curves, we'd appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I've been waiting for this moment. So, <laughs> <clears throat> so yeah, th there have been seven major U.S. recessions since 1960. They they all like began with an inverted yield curve. Um, and the inverted, the inverted yield curve was first coined as a recession indicator by a financial economist named Campbell Harvey from Duke University in 1986. And during the 80s, many econo economists um, researched the stock market to see if it had predictive properties uh, regarding the economy. But after seeing the failure of his fellow colleagues, Harvey decided to study a less volatile system, the ultra-safe U.S. bond market. Everybody's Mark. favorite market, the bond. Yeah. market. my favorite market. Especially Mark's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, so the yield curve um, is not causative in nature. It, it does not create recessions. Rather, it, it's kind of a representation of how we, the people, view the future of the U.S. economy. Investors will flock to the safest financial asset, which is, a, which is U.S. bonds. Um, and if there are many buyers for the long-term treasuries in a relatively short period of time, the U.S. can lower interest rates for long-term treasuries um, even below the interest rates of short-term treasuries. That uh, really well said, Griff. And um, <laughs> Mark, will you, you know, I had read that history, but I had forgotten it. The, the piece about Campbell Harvey of Duke. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I, I don't know if, if, if you are familiar with that. It'd been a while since I, um, but um, first off, two points for the bond market, right? Most forecasters think the bond market's pretty good. So Mark, uh, high five. Uh, you, oh, and we were, we were texting last night, Mark. Um, Griffey, Mark knows the answer to this. Since 1999 through today, what asset has outperformed? 30-year U.S. Treasury bonds or the stock market? Uh, I'm gonna go with the with the stock market. Uh, Mark, you wanna you wanna enlighten our intern? No, you'd you'd be you'd be shocked. It's 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 they're they're essentially a parody. A tie. Really? So what's fascinating, right? This podcast uh, is all about uh, risk and return, calculated risk and return. And uh, it, 1999, the stock market was so expensive that since then to now, you've got no excess return for taking the risk of giving money to companies from Intel to Google and Coca-Cola rather than getting a guaranteed return from the United States government. Um, so kind of an amazing result. Uh, but uh, yes, so the bond market has information. Uh, Mark, uh, you did a great job highlighting how inverted the yield curve is. So again, just in the last month to today, kind of the narrative, and um, you, you mentioned on this, uh, um, uh, in that beautiful reading, Griff, uh, you mentioned that sort of people's psychology and what they expect about the future can shape how risk-taking they are when they seek uh, safety. Robert Schiller's done a lot of, uh, of work about this. But the headlines from a month ago were inflation, inflation, inflation. And now there's headlines in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I'm sure if you looked on Google Trends, there'd be a big spike about the inverted yield curve. Uh, the last time there were talks about the inverted yield curve was 2018-19, uh, 
right before the Fed cut rates. So one of the other things, uh, so the narrative is shifting from inflation uh, to um, an inverted yield curve and a recession. Keep in mind, there's going to be more inflation reports. And as this one was surprising, uh, surprisingly soft, I guess, if you can call 20 basis points a, a big surprise, the next few reports could totally change their narrative again. But for now, the narrative is inflation is falling from 10% to 8.5%. Maybe the people who called it transitory is coming back. Uh, Bank of America came out today and they said, uh, we quote, we generally take this print to endorse our economic team's call for a 50 basis point hike in September. This morning's data confirms that we have seen a peak in inflation and endorses our view that peak hawkishness is likely behind us. So this report today was enough for Bank of America to pound the table. Inflation's in the rear view. Um, when we look at the Fed funds futures market, uh, we can see... Uh, you know, there's there's no better information than a market where people are putting uh, money on the line. Uh, what I've pulled up for you guys and what I'll share with our listeners is here's the Fed futures curve. So what this does is it forecasts what the effective funds rate is going forward. The effect, the fund rate, the Fed funds target rate today. Uh, Mark, what's the Fed funds target today? Two and a quarter to two and a half percent. Perfect. Thank you. And you you guys see the effective funds rate. Uh, for today uh, tracks that value. And uh, to, the, to the point of the Bank of America analyst, you can see that the, the, the market is expecting the Fed funds rate to rise to 3.5% in the first quarter, so spring of 2023. But then that talk of inversion comes back. What you can see is by the end of 2023, by Q3 or Q4, the, the market has the Fed futures falling from 3.5 back down to three, right? And eventually going below three in 2024. Um, so the market, uh, and, and by the way, there's a pretty big difference, right? Between 8.5% inflation and a 3.5% Fed funds rate. That implies uh, a negative effective short-term rate of still about 5%. So what the market's saying is the Fed's gonna be successful inflation's coming down, the economy's going to slow from China uh, to Europe, partly due to uh, a lot due to Ukraine, Ukraine and Russia, and in the U.S. from uh, rising uh, uh, from rising interest rates. But the market is certainly telling a story right now that the Fed doesn't have a lot more to raise and the economy is going to slow. Uh, Griff, I see, I see, I can see your mind being blown through our Zoom chat here. I'm sorry to our listeners, they can't see that. Any comments so far from Mark or Griff? Uh, I, I guess I just kind of have a question. I don't, I don't really understand how. Like, I, I, I would get it if the difference between like what was, what was expected and the, like that what actually happened was like a huge difference. But for, since like the difference was only like 0.2 percent, I don't understand why like it had such a big impact. Really, since it was so such a close like call. Fabulous <laughs> response there, Griff. So yeah. Mark, yeah, this is right yeah. Right so right. well, you know, look, the difference between what was expected and what what was what was posted today. Um, is, is small. You're right. I mean, you're talking about, you know, you know, less than, you know, less than a quarter of a percentage point differential, but you know, the market reacts to that. You know, they, they, if you, if you take that and you expand that and multiply it over, you know, a trillion dollar economy, then it becomes meaningful dollars. Um, and, 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 and the market, you know, is used to dealing, you know, six decimal points out, 
you know, in, in, in being correct. So it's, it's, it's kind of like, uh, if you imagine like, you know, waving a saw, you know, it's like a little movement here, but at the very end, it's moving, it's moving much bigger. So, you know, it, it, it's funny. You're right. Uh, it, it, uh, top line headline, it doesn't seem like much, um, but it, it's also more of an indication of a trend perhaps that, that's happening in the economy. Does that mean that, you know, CPI is going to continue to come down? We don't know. We'll find out in a month. Um, I look at it. In, in terms of rate increases and in, in the forecast of what the Fed's going to do, in my opinion, the Fed was has been playing catch up all year, uh, not catch up as in you know Heinz ketchup and mustard, but <laughs> catching up um, and really trying to get a grip on the economy and inflation because they haven't, they've ignored it, they ignored it for so very long um, due to a, a great number of factors. The, the big components out there still for me are you have you have oil prices which are still. They're down, but they're still much higher than they were, you know, two years ago or, lo or longer. Um, you still have major supply chain issues. You have now on the, the, the discussion and, and new legislation being passed in Washington to raise taxes on certain sectors and, 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 and corporations above a certain level. There are indications out there to me that um, are not anti that, that indicate that we're not in an anti-inflationary or, or 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 in a situation where the trend is you know going lower to the right. I think we're still heading up upwards to the right. Personally, um, the Fed the Fed Open Market Committee meets in September, November, and December. Um, whether it's fifty or seventy-five basis point raise in September, I guess we're going to find out. I still wouldn't be shocked if they go for 75 basis points only because I think as we head into November and December, the Christmas season retail, um, you know, we really haven't gotten any updated retail numbers. Um, I, I think the the Federal Reserve may be a little sensitive to, you know, everybody in the country and, you know, what if interest rates are going higher, money's more expensive, the economy continues to slow. And if they come in, you know, too harsh at the end of the year, you know, they may completely rain all over the, the Christmas season in retail and, and season as well. Um, you know, they, they tried this a few years ago, it didn't work, and they unraveled it right before Christmas in, in 2018. We've talked about that before. So I think they may still hit hard one more time and then see what the numbers look like from the summer. And we'll have those numbers, you know, pretty much starting in October, November. We'll have a good read on what happened over the summer. Uh, and, and then they can decide whether or not they want to be a little softer, um, you know, moving forward or, or, you know, once those numbers are posted. Great question, Griff. Great answer, Mark. Um, and I would sort of just enforce, uh, reinforce some of the points Mark made, Griff, and say, um, one, it's ridiculous to react so strongly to something that, as Mark said, could get revised later and be measurement error. I mean, come on. Uh, second, it does underscore to Mark's point how much money is at stake and the market's on a bit of a knife's edge, right? We haven't had inflation since uh, Paul Volcker in the 70s. Uh, so whether or not inflation stays high, moderates, goes back to the 2% that the Fed's hoping for, the implications are enormous, right? So on the one hand, it's silly. On the other hand, as Mark said uh, very well, there's a lot at stake. And then the third point is, especially with so especially with the internet and social media we're in a really narrative driven economy and market these days 
And just in a month, the narrative has shifted from worrying about inflation to recession, but also the hopes that the Fed can engineer what's called a soft landing. So the economy was running hot, partly, not partly, mostly because the government, uh, and that includes two governments, uh, threw a lot of money at the economy. And a lot of that was justified to stimulate it because of COVID. But um, we can't fly that high forever. The American economy is not built for that. So um, the, the result of putting too much money in the economy was inflation. So what the Fed's trying to do is lower its altitude and land the plane back to normal and not crash. And of course, this is what the Fed always tries. And for the most part, they've failed, right? But when you get a report like today, and maybe not the miss so much as going from 10% inflation to 8.5, it reinforces a burgeoning narrative of, hey, wait, maybe the Fed can nail it. And maybe they can slow the economy back to normal, kind of like you know, it's Fed, it's Fed Chairman Powell playing Tom Hanks playing Sully Sullenberger, right? It's like he, the Fed is freaked out, right? The stewardess and the pilot, they're nervous, right? The windows are shaking, the carts are shaking, but they're trying to tell everybody to stay calm, right? And as long as there's a chance greater than zero, they can land the plane. They're going to tell everybody it's fine and they can do it. And a report like today sort of reinforces that narrative. So mortgage rates spiked from sub three to according to Mortgage News Daily, 6.13 earlier this year. So more than doubled. Now they've come into 5.13, right? So they dropped a point from the high. So already, so um, the housing market, when mortgage rates spiked, homes started to sell less frequently, coinciding with more inventory hitting the market, which should be negative for prices and price growth has slowed. But all of a sudden with rates coming down a point, um, we're seeing that moderate. So what was housing inventory spiking is now smoothing, smoothing out. The slope of the curve is going down. So maybe housing, a hard landing would be prices going down. A soft landing would be price growth slowing. It looks like in housing, all of a sudden, maybe a soft landing is possible, right? So then you get today's report. So one of the reasons the market's kind of reacting this way is that it's also reinforced, and one of the reasons that the stock market's up is uh, is this the probability rising of a soft landing. It, now it might be rising from ten percent to twenty percent. It's far from you know anything greater than fifty percent. Uh, but we've talked about it a little bit before. Right now, the stock market's still in a bit of a cheery mood, and people still have excess cash and they want to speculate. Uh, there's still trillions of companies valued at. 15 times price to sales. So right now the mood is still a bit speculative and the market's looking for good news. As Mark knows, and I've seen, we've seen in our careers, the market's mood can change quickly. And as he said, the, the next few, the next inflation report, if it goes the other way, if it goes back up or is higher than expectations, which is totally possible, um, you'll kind of see the reverse thing happen. But until then, so much is at stake. The market's on knife's edge to see what's going to happen. But to wrap up uh, this podcast and invite Mark or, or you, Griffey, to make any final comments is that uh, we want our listeners to be aware the narrative shifting, the market's moving from primarily worrying about inflation to now at least worrying about a recession as much or more. Uh, where things will go, who knows? Uh, but this is this is an update of what we're seeing in the markets. Mark, Griffey, any comments you'd yeah. like to add 
Yeah, my, I think my final wrap-up comment would be is, look, the, the, inf the inflation that we're experiencing now and that we've been experiencing um, isn't just COVID-based, okay? It isn't just oil, you know, Putin-based. Um, it isn't just policy-based. Mm -hmm. It's something that started 14 years ago, okay, with the financial crisis. Sure. As you referred to, the, the, the quantitative easing and, and the Fed started, you know, pouring cash into the economy to keep the, to keep the economy from going upside down in 2008, 2009. And it's been a long, slow burn. <clears throat> and, up, and then two years ago, COVID was the equivalent of, of adding, you know, gallons and barrels of, of gasoline onto that fire. And the it nitrous just button. Yeah. yeah, it just erupted, right? And I, I find it hard to believe that the economy, which is really more like a huge ocean liner, you cannot turn it and stop it on a dime. I, I find it really hard to believe that eight months of, of you know, fiscal conservative you know, rate increases are going to cure the problem that has been burning and building for a decade and a half. Excellent so context. I, I think- Thanks. I, I think I think we we have you know a little longer to go with this. Um, if you look back historically at cycles, you know if we came out of this and if we if we bottom and we came out of this inflationary period in a year and a half to two years, that I still think that still might be aggressive. But I think that's doable. Um, but I think to 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 think uh, that we're going to be inflation is not something to be concerned or worried about. Ten months. You know, eight or ten months into the year 2022, after 14 or 15 years of build, uh, I, I think is is a little foolish. So I, I think we're in for a little more pain in terms of interest rate rises and in trying to get a stranglehold on this inflation. So, um, and uh, our listeners know, regardless what happens in markets, which is uh, anybody's guess, um, they can tune in here to for for contacts and understanding. And then the most important thing is. Will definitely reveal Griffey's choice when he picks his university. Uh, uh, Griffey, any any final comments or questions before we close out? Um, I guess just one last thing would be since since like the inflation is so high and they're they're really trying to lower it like a significant amount over like how long is that kind of expected to take? And like if they try to you know if they're too rapid in trying to decrease inflation, will that like damage the economy more than it will help it? It could. That's a really good question. Um, it could, and, and and as we've talked about, in 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 my in our opinion, my opinion, the Federal Reserve, for a number of reasons, uh, ignored inflation, right? And then all of a sudden, last year they said, "Oh, get ready, because now we're going to put inflation in a headlock and give it noogies and raise rates." And that's <laughs> what they've done this year, right? And they continue to give it noogies, and we're going to get more noogies in September. I firmly believe uh, September 21 is the next Fed Open Market Committee meeting. Um, if they overreact, they they could you know really dampen the economy, right? It could drive unemployment, which we have has not been an issue, especially since COVID. Um, you know, and and prices are up. It, they could really damage the economy longer term. So I think they need to be thoughtful about it. But I think they also still need to kind of hold the line and say, in the, for the long term, we have to get our we have to get our arms around it. But overreacting is never generally a good solution to any problem, right? It has to be measured, it has to be thoughtful, um, and you know, hopefully they're not going to take um, you know the wrong considerations into account as to what they do and when they do it.
Excellent, gentlemen. Cool. Uh, Griff, it's always more fun when you join the podcast. Uh, you're always welcome on. <laughs> Thank you. It feels, feels good to be to be on this episode. <laughs> Excellent. And Mark, uh, whenever you want, please take us away. Absolutely. Thanks, gentlemen. Remember, the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and their guests. Nothing discussed today should be considered investment advice. And please consult your own financial advisor and tax advisor when considering any investment. If you have questions and you're one of our clients, please email us with the term podcast in the subject line to info at mk-am.com. For more information about this podcast, the hosts, uh, and our firm, please visit our website at www.mk-am.com. Thank you for joining us and look forward to our next podcast release in the very near future. Mm-hmm.